And now, ladies and gentlemen, the final presentation of the Cato University College of Economics, Professor Deirdre McCloskey. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I, uh, I think we ought to have a discussion this evening about what we mean by freedom. Of course, we could call it liberty too, but that's simply a, that's, that's a difference between Anglo-Saxon and Latin. That's all it is. One's, and, I, and I think they, they, they mean the same thing. And I, uh, in fact, I was, I was reading this evening this excellent book by Tom himself, Tom Palmer, called Realizing Freedom. It was uh, published in 2007, and I was shocked to find in one of the opening essays an analysis of the problem with the modern definition of freedom since really the 1880s that's identical to one that I just wrote in a book that I'm almost through with. And I promise I didn't steal it from him, but it's, I, he, he and I have the same villains in this story. I mean, let's call it, let's go, go, go with freedom because I won't stutter on the F word, whereas on the L word I'll probably stutter. Um, the, once, once freedom was very clear because it meant you weren't a slave. In a slave society, such as in the classical Mediterranean or most of Africa, um, or alas, the United States in the early 19th century, freedom meant that no one was bossing you around physically. And it's important to emphasize the physical compulsion of slavery. Because it's not just, you know, kind of snowflake worries that someone's going to insult me someday. It's, it's that they're going to whip you. <laughs> and that, that's a much stronger matter. And it, it's, it, it's, I think it's extremely important to keep distinct verbal rape from real rape, right? Verbal abuse from, from real abuse. Now, verbal abuse, abuse is bad, and I don't approve of it, and I'm against it. But what freedom means, then, is being a free person. And a free society is one in which everyone's free. Now, that, that then develops in the great movement that we all honor that begins in the 18th um, century in France, but especially in England, and most particularly in Scotland, and in what became the United States, namely a society of free people. Now, you'll notice that the man who wrote uh, All Men and Women, Dear, 
are created equal was a slave owner. I just read, read a speech in Tom's book, part of a speech by Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. He was a slave owner too. So it's not as if suddenly in, the, in, in, in 1776 or 1789, freedom rang through the whole of our, our country. But the idea was loose in the world. The idea, as um, Richard Rumbolt, before he was hanged in 1685, articulated, I think there is no man born of God above another, for no man comes into the world with a saddle on his back, neither anyone booted and spurred to ride him. In 1789, that was an absurdity. No one in Europe believed that. No one anywhere else believed it either. I'm, I'm, I'm morally certain, I don't have any evidence for it, that as he spoke that before they <laughs> opened the chute and allowed him to be hanged, I'm sure that the crowd gathered to watch this spectacle as was common in those days. I think, by the way, that people who are in favor of capital punishment should be required to witness it. That would straighten them out a bit. But in any case, this crowd undoubtedly laughed at him because it was an absurdity. In the 14th century, John Ball, a priest, was drawn and quartered. If you don't know what that means, check it out on Wikipedia. It's really quite appalling. He was drawn and quartered for saying, when, when Adam delved, that is plowed, and Eve span, that is spun, who then was the gentleman? This egalitarian idea was utterly foreign to the politics and history of an agricultural society. Agricultural societies, not hunter gatherers, as I pointed out yesterday, were highly hierarchical. Observe then, liberalism, which is what we support, is the idea of equality. This we share with our friends on the left. The, except they follow Rousseau instead of Adam Smith. <laughs> so, but, but equality is the heart of liberalism. It's the idea that no man or woman is born of God above another. So it was a slow coming we had of it. But gradually, this idea worked in society. I think it's one of the most important examples in history of the sheer force of ideas. 
the kinds of things that we've been uh, um, talking about at 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 our at our university. That's what the, that's the central line in all the talks as I heard them. That we each have equal abilities to open a business, equal social standing. You'll, you'll notice that there are no hierarchies here, although I do wish you'd call me your highness. <laughs> I don't quite understand why you haven't gotten this. I was talking to someone last night, and I said, my dream is to be Dame Deirdre <laughs> with a knighthood from the queen. But unfortunately, our constitution forbids it. So I'm out of luck. <laughs> so we're to be equal in enterprise, opening a business or entering an occupation. There are 1,000 licensed occupations in the United States, so, some not all in the same place, but 1,000 licensed occupations, and they're increasing in number very rapidly. And this is a real problem. You can't enter, we were talking about becoming an electrician or a carpenter. You know, I, I said, I'm the only person in this room who could become an apprentice electrician in the state of Michigan. I don't propose to make that my second career, but that's because my grandfather was a member of the union, and my uncle Joe was, and my aunt, my, uh, not my aunt, but God, not my aunt, my, my, uh, my cousin Phil. And that's an absurd restriction on occupational mobility and opportunity. But the story from the 18th century on is the gradual extension of this idea. First to poor men. Andrew Jackson, his election in 1828 was more than symbolic of the coming of poor men to political power in the United States. Uh, it wasn't altogether good news, but that was true. First poor men, poor white men, then the anti-slavery the, the anti agitation, thank God. Then, by analogy with the anti-slavery anti-agitation in 1848, the beginning of the of the the beginning of the women's movement in the United States, and the coming in some of the new states of the West of voting rights for for women, equal rights for this and that, immigrants, Catholics, Catholic em emancipation in Britain in the 18, 1830s. Jewish em 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 emancipation um, in, uh, spread over e Europe at various times. Then the em emancipation of, uh, of blacks in the United States, a slow process following on the abolition of, of slavery and the, and the re-enslavement under, under Jim Crow. 
which by the way was a governmental activity. I often point out to my numerous friends on the left that the government occasionally does good things. Contrary to, to um, Jeff, I, I, um, I, I think I'm in favor of the Voting Rights Act, at least, of 1964. But in the meantime, it does the Dred Scott decision, the Fugitive Slave Law, Jim Crow, um, um, separate but equal, one after another, impositions of violent hierarchy. Uh, yeah, um, our, uh, the person worshipped Woodrow Wilson, who wouldn't have a black in the White House except as a servant. So there's been, and then, 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 then women again in my lifetime, gays, handicapped uh, people, transgendered people of all things. It's been very shocking in the last few years how that's gone. Shocking and, in my view, good. More and more people were added to the freeze, so to speak, the free people. And that's, this is a magnificent development. It's, as you know, it's not just in the United States. It's um, freedom in many more countries after the fall of, uh, of communism, um, the, the failure of, uh, of fascism in the 1930s and 40s, though it's reviving uh, in, in the name of populism. So that's the story of the growth of freedom. Well, so what? <laughs> Maybe a society in which, or a polity in which, a boot was planted on the throat of a human forever, to quote the famous last lines of 1984, might be the one that would produce great art or make America great again or something. But I, I don't think so. I think that it's free societies that are creative in the arts and sciences and music. And that's an analogy that I want you to hold on to. We believe in freedom. And it's easy to convince our friends on the left and our, our friends on the right who oppose freedom by saying, now look here, you agree that music should be free, that if a band uh, uh, does still another imitation of an airplane crash, which is my way of looking at modern rock music, um, um, and if people like the airplane crash, then it should prosper and will. And in science, the best hypotheses in economic and historical science, my hypotheses, succeed freely in competition with others. And the same is true in painting and theater and movies and so forth, um, country music. You know what happens when you run a country music song backwards? He gets back his girlfriend, <laughs> his gun, and his pickup. 
<laughs> That's a classic country music joke. And as, as a matter of fact, just as a sidelight, country music contains a lot of liberal, that is, libertarian thought. And I really want to make a special you know, record <laughs> or more, a collection of libertarian country music. Rock music, although its very form is about freedom, uh, I can't understand the words, so I'm not going to apply, <laughs> apply to rock musicians. I don't know how anyone learns the words of any modern rock music, so-called tune. Anyway, back on track. We have then this story of success in the arts and sciences of a, of a liberal character. And I think we ought to use that more often to talk to both the left and the right and to say, you know, you people approve of scientific advance and engineering advance. Why not business advance? It's just as creative. Now, they don't believe that. Neither, neither the left or the right thinks that business is hard. They think it's easy. They think the economy is routine and anyone can do it. And anyway, the bourgeoisie is it's stupid. I'm an academic or a member of the clerisy, as they call it. They're just vulgar. They just deal with making stuff. There is a the only novel of Henry James that I've been able to get two-thirds of the way through is called The Ambassadors. And he's a very, he's, you can't read a page of Henry James without realizing that he's very skilled. Although, as a friend of mine pointed out, in a Henry James novel, it takes an entire chapter in a cocktail party for one man to get around one table. <laughs> but anyway, um, in The Ambassadors, these American expatriates in the late 19th century are financed by some business back in Connecticut. And James tantalizingly says, well, one of the characters says, I'll tell you later what the business is. And then the character never does. I don't know what was so shameful about it, but he doesn't ever tell it. So anyway, this, this attitude of hostility and and looking down on the business world is the big problem of, and I emphasize, it's also on the right. It's the big problem on the left and the right. All right, so what? Again, always the best question to ask, so what? So what else is new? <laughs> In Dutch you say, and new, and now, so what? The story I've been telling. Well, my claim is that liberty is the cause of our wealth. That it's this liberal idea coming not just sort of spontaneously in the 18th century in Europe in some Frenchmen and a lot of Scots, um, but it, it had causes. I think the causes were 
accidental from the point of view of uh, European history. Tom argues, as many have, that they come from, from the commune, from the walled um, towns of, uh, of Europe in which city air makes you free. I, I think that's wrong, but it's not completely crazy. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a useful background condition. But I think it's more recent. It's from the, um, from the Protestant Reformation and the, the Dutch revolt against Spain and the English Civil War and the American Revolution and even the French that what came? The idea that no man is born of God above another. The idea that you can have a go, that you're entitled to join, well, not necessarily join the electrician's union, but work as an electrician if you want. That you're entitled to open a hairdressing salon, which I desperately need. Will someone please open one? <laughs> uh, uh, that, you're, you're, that, you're, that you're free to speak. This is something that that which his name didn't begin with T. Tocqueville noticed in his tour of the United States in 1832 that at least white men in the United States. Now he was a French aristocrat, and he noticed that white men in the United States acted as though they were entitled to speak to him. Entitled. I'm a free person. Who are you, Count? <laughs> Count Tocqueville. You know, who do you think you are? That's a very American attitude. And it's spread. But its economic consequence, I'm claiming, was allowing people to be free. You see this in Walt Whitman, the poet. This kind of celebration of... of He's got these, the, these passages in Leaves of Grass, Song of Myself, and so forth, where he talks about his democratic way of looking at the country and where everyone was free to lie in the grass and think about stuff. And that notion of freedom gave people this permission now, along with it, of course, went the institutions and laws that cashed in the liberal idea. But I think the liberal idea is really the mainspring of the modern world. Imagine if no one had ever said all men and women are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, life liberty, pursuit of happiness. Suppose that idea had never occurred to anyone in Europe or had been somehow crushed in the 18th century. We wouldn't have a free economy that we're all advocating in this group. And we wouldn't have the modern world. Now, you say, well, okay, they're free to do it. What, what's the cause of all that? Come on, what, what, what? Let's be economic here. What's the cause? 
it's that there's this astonishing growth after 1800 in free countries. Sweden eventually becomes free. And in the late 19th century, has this amazing growth. One of the poorest countries in Europe, almost as poor as Russia in 1800, becomes by 1950 or so one of the richest countries in the world. They had, but this happened because the Swedes started inventing things. They invented the bandsaw. You know, they do a lot of wood in Sweden. So the bandsaw is very important. They invented, and this is crucial, ball bearings. Ball bearings are a Swedish invention. And still one of the largest ball bearing companies in the world is, is Swedish. Um, across the free world were these developments, these freedoms. And you can look around at this room, which is kind of an imitation French, you know, pre-industrial room. But, you know, those aren't candles. Those are electric lights. And this carpet, this cheap, I mean, this inexpensive carpet is, is, is woven. I don't see any seams in it. This is an amazing industrial product. Uh, and certainly the electronics that shows our, our motto so well is an, an amazing industrial product. And it's not just in technique. It's not just in uh, mechanical and biological inventions, although those are myriad. There are zillions of them. It's much faster innovation than before. And as I said yesterday, and I'll repeat it here, it's not investment that does this. Investment is necessary. We have lots of investors here. In fact, in a sense, everyone in this room is a, some kind of investor in capitalism through pensions or whatever. But the inventions follow on the ideas. And the ideas sometimes don't take much capital. Or let's put it this way. They don't take science. They, they don't necessarily. Science is important, gets more and more important, but science isn't the key. It's freedom that's the key. Take the case of the owner of a trucking firm in North Carolina in 1956 who had the idea of containerization. Containerization doesn't involve any fancy science. You get standardized boxes, you make them corrugated so they don't collapse under the weight of other boxes. And you put them, you, you, I, I'm a transportation economist, or was, and I remember in the 1960s when containerization was just starting to come in. There was a big struggle with the unions, the uh, longshoremen, and, and you had to organize, you had to have the gantry cranes to move the boxes and blah, blah, blah. But it happened, and it's radically reduce the cost of ocean transport, or for that matter, land transport. Because as you've seen, you, you, you put them on rail cars and off you go. And that's one of the main causes of modern globalization, at least in the trade of commodities. So it's sometimes organizational ideas. The modern university. The, modern, the idea of the modern university and the people who have been uh, been talking here, the not 
are, are an, an illustration of it, is was invented in the University of Berlin in 1810 by von Humboldt. And the idea was to combine teaching and research. Combine teaching and research. And all your in, instructors, if you want to call them that, we, 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 we learn as much from you as, as um, you, you learn from us, are researchers as well. And that's just an idea. Just, oh, hey, let's have a thing called a university. It's an old name in Europe. But of course, in old Europe, and if you want to call it before 1810, it was about specializations in theology, medicine, law. And that's more or less it. So what was the consequence? What was the outcome? Again, ask, so what? This freedom to have a go resulted in an increase of income per head in countries that took full advantage of it, measured in very conventional ways by a factor of 30. 30, as I explained to an anthropologist at Cambridge a couple of years ago who doubted it, is 3,000% thereabouts. You know, three, factor of 30, base is one, it gets to 30, as I explained to him patiently. Um, 30 minus 21 uh, is 29. 29 divided by 1 is uh, 29, which, to put it in percentage terms, you multiply by 100, and you get 2,900, which near enough is 3,000%. I was a little surprised, but anthropologists are not required to be quantitative. So, so here's the reason. Now look, this had never happened before, not even close. There were cases of increases of, I don't know, 100%, but never anything like modern economic growth. Now, one final point, then we'll turn to a discussion about it. If, if someone will bring a chair up, I can sit down. I'm old and weak. Let's get some young person to do that. No, not you. You're not young. <laughs> You're not young, Tom. Don't give me that crap. Can't, can't Thank you, dear. I'll, 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 I'll put my feet there. <laughs> One more point. One more point. There, there are no hierarchies here, even by age. I, I'm almost the oldest person here, I think, but that's okay. I'm, I'm that, you, you, it's not, this isn't China. You're not owed me more respect just because I'm very old. Um, if, as it says in, in the Bible, uh, my own Bible, I'm an Episcopalian, the New Testament, it says there, uh, what shall it profit someone if they gain the world and lose their soul? And that's true enough. That criticism of what we unhappily call capitalism is common on the left and the right. I just re reviewed a book uh, a while ago, a few months ago, by Patrick Denine, who's a conservative Catholic um, writer, he's a very able kid, 
but he thinks that we've lost our mortal soul. And he says, this is remarkable, we've got, to, he actually said this in the book, we've got to go back to composting. Composting. You know what composting is? It's when you put your leaves in a big pile and they rot, and then you use it for fertilizer. That's what he recommends. Um, and, okay. So, it's the, the, so there, the, there's a conservative view against capitalism, and there's a, there, there's a left-wing view, and they amount to the same thing. They say, you've lost your soul. And I don't think that's true. I think one of the great payoffs of this 3,000% increase is that the arts and sciences flourish. So does spiritual work of various kinds. It's not true that we've lost our souls. We're, we're able, we're not, I don't know, anxious all the time about our next meal. And so you can say we, we fulfill Marx's dream of, of communism in which someone would uh, work, in, work at the cotton mill in the morning and play the, um, play, play, play the cello in the afternoon and write poetry in the evening. That's actually happening. And it's happening because of material enrichment. So the conservative and, uh, and socialist complaint is wrong. So that's my case, that what we've been talking about here is the consequences, as Jeff puts it, of liberty. And the movement that made them begins in Scotland especially in the uh, 18th uh, century and is spreading around the world. And it's our job in this room to keep it spreading. I, I'm about to go down to Brazil and speak to an enormous conference of uh, that, that um, Tom, in fact, in fact, praised last night at a small group meeting uh, of 4,000 people interested in liberalism. They're about to elect a president who, like ours, is dubiously liberal. But keep up the good fight. That's how I can look at myself in the mirror as the morning in the morning. Don't falter or fail. Carry on and be liberal. Thank you very much. <laughs> Who would like to um, say that I'm all wrong? Or Actually, I'd prefer that if all the people would just praise me. <laughs> Without, that's good. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> that would be very nice. Could, could, could somebody hand me my purse? Some young person. Here's a young person springing forward. Thank you, dear. It's, it's not that I don't trust you. <laughs> yes, oh, who has their hand up? We have a microphone. Who's going to pose a question? You can pose a question when you have the microphone. 
Now I have the microphone. Yes, power. Um, the distinction between institutions and the idea. Yeah. You focus about the idea of liberalism. Yeah, that's right. Would you characterize the core of the idea of liberty or liberalism, the idea of the presumption of liberty, which is to say, because this right. would be characterized in various ways, but the idea that you don't have to ask permission that's right. to do things, that it is presumed you can do whatever you damn well please yep. without permission, as opposed to the permission society, yes. feudalism, hierarchy, socialism, bureaucracy, you have to go to the Ministry of Denying Permission That's right. to get a paper to do something. That's perfectly true. So you think that's the key? That's the key, or as, as, as David Schmitz, the philosopher, says, um, sort of in Hillel's version, yes. he says, freedom is the right to say no. And that's a nice concept. But they also this, this right to do to do or to say no. Without permission. So here's the question then. Where does that come from? Well, you're going to say, I know what your answer is, which is <laughs> you're going to say it's institutions. And I'm going to say the institutions don't work unless there's an ethic behind them. Unless people want to be free and are willing to defend it, I don't mean with guns necessarily, although that's sometimes necessary. The institutions don't matter. And, and they honestly don't matter. I mean, that you ought to take a look at the Soviet Constitution. It is a beautiful document, giving people all kinds of rights, although you're right, it's on the sort of permission model. But oh, you have the right to free speech and blah, 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 except no one paid any attention to it. So I, I, I think, look, here, here's, here's a mistake. That, that you make in thinking about capital. You, you come to Boston, you look at all the fine buildings and some lousy architecture, I have to say, uh, modern architecture. I, I'm, I'm shocked, this is my hometown. I'm shocked, at, I, I come from Chicago, we're very proud of our architecture. I must say that Boston's architecture is terrible. Uh, modern, anyway. You come and you see the buildings and you think, aha, I can see that. It must be that that's how you get rich. That's how you have a rich society, is by building such buildings. And as I mentioned, this was the theory of the World Bank for a long time. Just pour physical capital into a country, dams and you know railways and so on, and then people will become rich. Well, they didn't. And the same thing, I've, it occurred to me in the last couple of days talking to you, that Institutions are the same way. You see them, so to speak. You see the uh, institution of the law. You see the policeman on the beat. You, you, you see the courts of law. You think, aha, that's it. Let's pour institutions into this country. But it doesn't work if the country doesn't, hasn't acquired liberal values. It's liberal values that then make for the institutions and indeed the, the, the having a go, as I call it, and the structures, the capital market. Here, there's some right here. She wants to, there you go, she, she's behind you. Oh, um, just sort of thinking 
spontaneously here. Would you make any connections? I, I am making connections in my own mind between what you just said about the ethic, the yeah. bottoms up, the yeah. desire for, and the institutions, yes. which in my mind, as in yours it seems, happens as a, as a consequence of the yeah. ethic. Um, would you make connections between what we've heard over the last couple of days, between a consequential approach to thinking about liberty and a rights-based approach, or a philosophical or an ideal approach to thinking about liber well, liberty or liberalism? You know, it, I, I would be, in, and I think many of the people in this room would be in favor of liberty, even if it made us poor. Give me liberty or give me death. And I, it's quite irritating that the guy was a slave owner. Um, but, but okay, I, I think Patrick Henry was a slave owner. I'm not actually sure of that. I think he was. Um, most Virginians were, the most high-income Virginians. But um, on the other hand, I'm pleased that the consequences are good, too. And it's a tremendous support. If we can get people to believe it, what's true that we became rich because we were free. Then we've got a card against China, Xi and his crew, and against Putin and his gang. We can say, no, wait. If you Chinese and Russians want to be rich, follow me <laughs> to, to liberty. Be because I think it's very, very powerful in both China and India, which have grown amazingly in the la since um, 1978 and 1991, it's economic liberty that's been at stake. Yeah. So I'd like to challenge this presumption of equality. I yeah. think that we're, in the eyes of our God and our creator, we are equal. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. there is no difference between human beings um, beyond these arbitrary constructs of what we define separate us. And that's not universal in world mm -hmm. re religions. In Hinduism, it's not. It's quite the contrary. Mm -hmm. And in Confucianism, which is not a religion but is mm -hmm. a civic religion, it's not true either. But where I'd like to push back is this idea that we enter society equal. I think that even in your own research, you talk about the, the impacts of imperialism. Granted, I feel like you neglect the impact that imperialism and colonialism has on those subjected to colonialism and imperialism. Yeah. And I think that even you yourself you know, agree that maybe there's an impact in stifling the innovation of these populations that were subjugated. Yeah, yeah, well, and I, so, I certainly agree with that. And so that being said, I, I'd like for us to think about this idea of like, well, if we know that slavery as an institution disadvantaged people for populations, what impact do you think that that has in society today? Would you well, still argue that we enter society equal? I didn't say we enter society equal in actuality. Some of us are more beautiful than others. Some, you know, <laughs> modest, as I say. Um, some of us are smarter than others. Some of us are taller, shorter, whatever is fashionable. Or, as you said, we have the good fortune to be born in a free uh, country as against a society of slaves. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I, I stutter. I was born like 2% um, 
of the born males, I, would, I, I stutter. Um, or, um, but, so we're not equal at birth, but we're equal in rights, in the ability to, um, uh, look, we've got no masters. That's the key point at birth. That's the claim of liberalism. Now, as far as imperialism is concerned, I think it's about time for the formerly imperialized countries to stop blaming Europeans for their troubles. I think it's been a long time since India was free, and that it had this wretched system of, of the license Raj for 40 years was the fault of Indians, of, of, of Nehru and the, and the Gandhis, along with others, who would still like to get back in power and stop modern economic growth in India. So, I don't know, I, I, um, it, I, I understand your, your, your concern. You're concerned about equality of opportunity, real equality of opportunity. But the trouble is that real equality of opportunity is to shift the word freedom to mean wealth or being smart. My friend Amartya Sen has a book called Development as Freedom, or Freedom as Development, which way does it go? Freedom as, as Development. Which way does he have it? Yeah, Development as Freedom. And that's, as, as Tom and I both agree, because he wrote it before I did, that's nonsense. We've got words for wealth, it's called uh, wealth. And that's a separate issue connected to this other kind of freedom, this more fundamental freedom of not being a slave. So I, I, wanna, I want people to, um, well, I want them to agree with me and shut up. <laughs> I'm joking, dear. <laughs> Here, no, that's, that's a terrible way to end that. That's not what I meant. I, I, I agree with as you, you see, but I'm I not shutting up. I can't resist a joke. I think I'm, I'm, I don't know, May West. Any suggestions for uh, how to argue with uh, our nouveau socialist friends, colleagues, uh, especially in the People's Republic of San Francisco, yeah. um, um, in regard to the fact that the experiment has already been run in the 20th century, yeah. and, it, and it resulted in a, at least 150 million state-sponsored yeah. murders. I agree with you. And even a, a, a philosophy professor friend of mine at Stanford yeah. has said, well, you allege that, but how do we know You that? allege that. Well, anyway, you I mean, know, anything it, in the service of continuing cut down the, the socialist then, dream. Cut it in half, and it's still appalling. I had a colleague um, for a year in London named Eric Hobsbawm, who was a great um, uh, communist um, historian. And I'm not using communism as a term of, of insult, although I believe it is. But, it, but, but Eric was, from his childhood, his teenagehood in Germany, uh, a member of the Communist Party, and was a member of the, of the British Communist Party until shortly before it dissolved itself after the fall of the Soviet Union. Now he's a somewhat unorthodox communist, but he was a communist, card-carrying communist. And he was interviewed by um, 
Michael Ignatieff, who's a liberal in kind of my sense. Um, he's a Canadian who spent much of his career in Britain. And on the, on the telly, um, Michael interviewed Eric. And Michael, the liberal, was trying to catch Eric out, as we say in cricket. And he said, suppose that, that producing the ideal human society, namely ideal communism, took the deaths, let's take your figure, of 150 million people. And what appalls me about what Eric said is without hesitation, he said yes. Instead of saying, well, you know, that's, that's a difficult question. And you have to kind of balance the great good of the ideal communist society against these deaths. And I really re regret it. And I think Stalin was a bad guy, et cetera, et cetera. No, he didn't say. He said, yes. And that's appalling. I said to myself, oh, Eric. So um, what's our argument? Cut the figure in half to convince your socialist friend. It's still appalling. Um, I, I think, I think as, um, as we were d discussing this afternoon, the knowledge problem is one way to get to it. Although, as I say, our friends on the left and some on the right think that business is easy, so they don't think there's a knowledge problem. They think it's easy to explore for oil. They, they have no idea what they're talking about, but they do. They think it's just, oh, well, that's easy. You just go out and drill a hole in the ground. What's the problem here? Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what to do with them. They're, they're my friends, and I love them, and I argue with them all the time. And they're the trick, I think, to answer your question more, more directly is to, is to try to persuade young people. Because my people over 30 won't change their politics. I did, but most people don't. Of course, I changed a lot of things over 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two more, three more, I don't care. We can go on all night as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I, as we used to say in Iowa, I was at the University of Iowa for 19 years, go Hawks. Um, uh, this kind of conversation is hog heaven for me. I just love it. Yes, Hi, Deidre. I need some help. Uh, Jeff has talked me I'm up. I'm from the government, ledge. and I'm here to help well, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Je Je Jeff has talked me off the ledge a little bit. Lynn has, and you have also. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what worries me terribly is I, I look at the opposition to what you're talking about and we're talking about. And yeah, I look liberalism. At, I look at the media. I look at the nonprofits. I look at academia. Yeah. And I say to myself, my gosh, every day I get up, we seem to be losing yeah. a little bit. It's yeah. not like it's we're falling off a cliff. Sure. But as hard as I, I try to do what I can. Um, I'm retired and work hard politically and contribute. But it just seems like the, the odds are insurmountable right now. I don't think they are. And, and I, 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 you need to give me some encouragement is okay, my question. Okay, here's the encouragement. The, the encouragement is 
that since the fall of communism, the number of liberal countries has radically increased, even if you include the terrible examples like Hungary, Poland, that are slipping back into fascism. Um, there are more free people in the world than there ever were. And, and, and I, I think we have to credit that. I, even China, you know, I think it's terrible. She is a terrible man. And I hope he, I don't know, reads Milton, Mil, reads Milton Friedman or, or uh, Tom here and becomes a liberal, which I think is a little unlikely. But um, even there, economic freedom is considerable. You can open a shop in China easier than you can open a shop in New Jersey. It seems to me like, oh, I'm sorry. We in America seem to be slipping a well, little bit. Well, I agree with you. I, I, I heard a great lecture about how hard it is to create or open a McDonald's. It's crazy. And in San Diego, it's harder than in St. Peter's Square. I told, I told you, I told you, it's terrible. Yeah, I know. And and so, and the and the and, and the licensed occupations and all this stuff. It's I, there. I kind of share your worry about the United, about our country, but for the world, I think it's moving in the right direction. And indeed, um, in our country, it's a little bit like the old story of the 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 frog boiling in water. First, it's just warm. And the frog says, hey, this isn't so bad. 75 degrees, hey, cool. And then degree by degree, it's raised until he boils. And we've got um, to gotta watch out for the, uh, yeah, as you said, we aren't going over a cliff. If we're going over a cliff, you say, oh, my God, look at the cliff. We have to say, let's, have, let's not have hair braiding licensed. <laughs> you think we can still win here in the United States? I'm sure we can, dear. We look at this crowd. Thank you, uh, Professor. I'm just wondering, it, in, in describing institutions, <laughs> in describing institutions as a necessary and insufficient condition to prosperity and describing Ethics is a. They're not sufficient. But they, they combine to produce this, right? Well, and if you have very bad institutions, if you have a liberal ethic, you'll change the institutions. Because the, the, our history has been one of having, into, having the, the ethics. Isn't, isn't it your argument that the ethics have triggered what we've observed? Yeah. And, and so looking forward, institutions will not suffice. But what, I, what I'm really trying to get at is that you're describing a pair of factors and that it, on no, the I'm other... Not. No, I'm a, I'm a monotheist. My but, God is ethics, ideology. Um, yeah. And, and wh That's what changed us. I see. We, we got this idea which took hold of us that all men and women are created equal. Right. Right, and, and and the ethics are both the 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 um, they generate the institutions and they pair with the institutions to produce prosperity, right? But you've got to have well, the ethics. They pair in the sense that they cause them. Look, right, the, right, right, right. Let's take the case of the ending of slavery. Sla slavery was a very stable and profitable institution. 
in the American South. And then we decided, at least we in the North decided, no, you can't have it anymore, and fought a great civil war. So, you know, th there, the, the cause was ethical. There's a, there's a Marxist argument that, oh, it is self-interest of the, I mean, what the hell are they talking about? Self-interest of the cotton manufacturers in New England? Huh? What do you, that's crazy. No, it was an ethical decision. I, I see, and, and, and maybe just, if you could just quickly react to this. Your beloved, she, even after he reads Friedman and Tom, he will probably, he will probably say that what he's offering is a combination of, yes, we don't have liberal values, yes, we don't have liberal institutions, but we have illiberal institutions and illiberal values, and that combines to produce, right. isn't that a, just as that's viable right. a path to prosperity? That's what he says, and that, that's, the, that's the Chinese model, and it's, it's an abomination. I was over in China just last um, spring, and I went to the kind of MIT of uh, China, um, <laughs> And they proudly showed me facial recognition hardware so that they could track every person in China. You know, this is creepy. I, I didn't say, oh, God, this is creepy. I said, oh, gee, that's nice. Now you can, now you can, you can oppress everyone individually. And <laughs> this is, I, I really didn't like it at all. So that, that's the problem. Can we have a female voice? Okay, this is the last one, but it's got to be a guy. It's got to be a woman. Oh, we've had one woman, but that, you're not going to be the token, dear. We're going to have a female voice. Come on, girls. The honor of the gender. Don't let the guys do it. Come on. Are you a woman or a mouse? Okay, we'll... we'll We'll go with well, whoever's next is the honorary female. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> I, I, I never, never could have imagined a greater honor than being the honorary female. Thank you, dear. Room. That's very good. I agree with you. Um, Profoundly agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully, hopefully we can we can we can continue that spirit of agreement throughout my, uh, my <laughs> okay. question. So some some people in, in the room have I've already spoken with about this somewhat. Uh, Tom and and uh, Jeff. Um, so President Reagan said that the, the the soul of American conservatism is libertarianism. Yeah. And I wish he had practiced it. Sure, you you and me both. Um, and certainly, I would not try to, to argue that most Republicans or the Republican Party in general or American conservatism has had a, a, a fantastic track record of yeah, putting its money... Yeah, the last pretty bad one. ...putting its money where its mouth is, yeah. to, so to speak, regarding libertarianism and yeah, small government, etc. Um, but that, that being said... Um, it's difficult for me to square this idea of, of and I, I know you've not said this explicitly, but of painting the left and the right in America 
in America, as opposed to now, as I said to uh, earlier, I think to, right. to Jeff, if we're talking about the left and the right spectrum in yeah. terms of like the Spanish Civil War, then sure. I'm fine saying, right. okay, I, I, I hate all of these people. Right, I agree. Um, but when you're talking about the left and the right in America, and yeah. now, yes, you have right, the right-wing uh, uh, populists, but in the conservative movement, there is a strain of libertarianism. Yeah, there is. But uh, there, a strong... There, in a sense, there is on the left, too. There uh, is on the left. Yeah. But what, I, what I've been noti not noticing is that increasingly... Um, the cops have finally got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's Chairman uh, She is coming to get you. I found that increasingly, I don't know if it's out of more of a just uh, a spirit of just acknowledging defeat, acknowledging yeah. just new generations, acknowledging changing times, whatever, that in at least from, from where I've been standing, that the, the right in America has kind of given up or changed its mind, whatever, on certain social issues, conservatism, like mainstream conservative politicians that I know of, mainstream conservative thinkers that I know of, don't really choose, for example, the same-sex marriage hill to die on anymore. Like, the idea of really trying to overrule o uh, Obergefell isn't really uh, something that I've... Or the idea of reinstating sodomy laws but isn't something here, that I've wait I a really... Second, wait a second. The last two years of American history happened. And in the last two... There, the, the approval for, for, for Trump, for President Trump, is 42% of the electorate. That means something. And they're not, most of them are Republicans by self-designation. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think I agree with many of, uh, uh, many real conservatives. Um, who's that guy? Um, I, I can't remember the name. But anyway, uh, lots of real, my real conservative uh, people I've met are often, are not often, they're daily, hourly appalled by the Trumpian version of the Republican Party. Well, Paul, maybe by things that Trump Bernie says. Sanders took over the Democratic Party. But at the same time, Trump literally draped himself in the rainbow flag. I mean, Trump... No, he doesn't. The various did, did, did you see what he, he proposed the other day about transgendered people? He I said, did. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And... Uh, Come on, it, 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 come on, this, this well, guy's not a liberal, and he's not a conservative either. I agree that he's not necessarily conservative, Yeah, but, uh, you. but in certain ways, I still, f it's hard not to uh, view him as being, and his, and his party, Better his, than Hillary. His, his, as claim? more libertarian friendly than their equivalents on the left. Their equivalents. It depends on what you mean by their equivalents. If you mean Hillary Clinton, that's just wrong. If you mean Bernie Sanders, yeah, I agree. H how In fact, as, as someone pointed out, I think it was Jeff, pointed out that Bernie Sanders, or maybe it was Lynn, Ber Ber Bernie Sanders and, um, and Trump say the same things um, uh, about lots of things. Uh, or it's a, yeah. Ber 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 so look. I, I don't want to get, I, I, there, are, there are some of you who are supporters of Trump, and I honor you, and you're, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to insult you, but, but it is very troublesome 
that the, that the party of uh, reputable people like George Bush Sr. and Jr. and his brother too, who are sensible conservatives, have been taken over by um, uh, this um, sort of random 3 a.m. declarations of no transgendered people in the military and now we're gonna commence bombing Paris. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm quoting an old shtick by um, the great stand-up comedian of the 60s and 70s, what was his name, I can't remember, but at the height of the, uh, of the French opposition to the Vietnam War, um, he said, President Nixon has a plan to revive his popularity, which was steadily declining. He said, he's announced today saturation bombing of Paris. <laughs> so I, I, I really think we're in a, in, a, in a dangerous position. There's not a moral equivalence between Bernie Sanders, who's a fool, and, um, and Donald Trump, who's a bad man. No one thinks of Bernie Sanders as an evil man. Reputable, sensible, good judgment people say daily, and not just on MSNBC, that Trump is an evil man. So, you know, he does some good things because he's got so many Republican enemies that in many of his agencies, the only people he can hire are libertarians. <laughs> and they go to work <laughs> dissembling the, the, the federal government, fine with me. So like, I don't, I don't wanna, I, I've, I've, I've spoken too much about this anyway.